The Bible is the most widely distributed and best-selling book in the world. You may have read through the entire Bible multiple times, or maybe have read only a few chapters here or there and are trying to make sense of it. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. The vision of TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church using the resources of the Kingdom of God. This eight-part series, starting with an overview and going through the main themes of the Bible, will hopefully bring clarity to what the Bible teaches. Here is Tori Bjorkland, President of TRC Ministries, teaching at Caravan Fellowship, in Part 1 of the Bible Message in a Nutshell, Overview. Good morning, everybody. This is really a summary of this whole series that we went through a while back. I'm going to talk about the what. That's the proposition. I believe this is the truth as contained in the Bible. I won't be going into the why, for example, the atonement, why did God do it, or anything, or the how, like redemption, how do we obtain it, or all of that. It's more, this is just the what, okay? So, first point, number one, before matter, there was substantial reality. We think of the word substantial as meaning, you know, maybe not everything but important stuff, but no. I mean it as in term substance. We think of substance as matter, but that's because we are oriented towards matter. But before matter, there was reality that you could say existed. It was substantial reality. So before the world existed, before any matter came to be, there was a reality with substance but without matter. This reality was spiritual in substance and did not depend on a material universe to be real. This reality that existed without matter was God. Now I'm using the past tense in order to be consistent grammatically, but this reality is God also. So, but you know, bear with me when I use the past tense. That doesn't mean it isn't also true today, okay, in the present tense. This reality that existed without matter was God. All of reality was contained in him, and apart from him, nothing existed. This reality was unending, never ceasing, and uncontained. There were no limits to this reality. This reality was not impersonal, but personal existence without limitations. All reality was unbodily, immaterial, unlimited, personal power. God was, and as I said, still is, a self-sufficient, self-determining being existing totally from his own resources. God decided to bring into existence to create other spiritual beings that exist in reality and without matter. Other spiritual beings who existed because of God. They were not God because they were not self-sufficient, not self-determining beings existing totally from their own resources. 
They were beings who existed by and through God. These beings we refer to as angels. God also decided to create matter. He began with the elements and then added light. Then he focused on organizing a habitat for living beings made of and constrained by matter. He created life of various forms. First, plant life, then creature life. He created various living creatures with various kinds of life. Fish, birds, land animals. And finally, God created his crown jewel of material creation, mankind. In him, he placed a special kind of life, spiritual life, just like that of the other spiritual beings, the angels, and himself. This life was never ceasing and immaterial. It was the same substance of reality that existed prior to matter. It was substantial because it occupies our body, but was non-material and could not be physically observed except as it influences physical matter in which it dwells. This is where I wish I could get into all the details. I think that's a very significant statement, and so I'm going to say it again, but we'll probably need to unpack it sometime. Okay, this life that is never ceasing and immaterial that was placed within man occupies our body but was not material and could not be physically observed. In other words, if I want to know Luke, I don't cut him open to find him inside. Okay? It is physically observed only as it influences physical matter in which it dwells. I observe Luke as a person through his use of his body. But he is not his body. He is a spiritual being that is not contained by the matter, but dwells and uses that matter to reveal himself. Man was and is non-material yet personal. You only have to see a dead body to know that body is not what makes us personal, only what makes us physically present. Once the spirit leaves the body, it ceases to be personal and is only material. So it's the spirit of a person that makes that person personal. And as soon as that spirit leaves, all that is left is the material. One of the most significant characteristics of a spiritual being is the ability to create. Spiritual beings create through the use of their will. They choose to bring into existence that which is within their power to create. Let me say that again. They choose to bring into existence that which is within their power to create. God is the only being with unlimited power and therefore unlimited potential for creation. Yet men and angels can significantly create through thought, imagination, and will 
by using the physical and spiritual existence provided to them by God. Okay, we create art, for example. We use our thoughts to imagine it and our physical capacity to observe it and our physical capacity to execute on it. Everything that we use was provided to us by God and our ability to create with it is limited by what God has given us the ability to do. Nonetheless, it is creation. We are creative beings. This is where some may, well, maybe already I've gotten into some areas that are controversial, but it gets more controversial. Our original bodies were intended to exist materially as long as our spirit exists. I'm going to say that again. Our original bodies, meaning mankind's, not my original body and your original body, but mankind was originally created with a body that was intended to exist materially as long as the spirit exists. Mankind was intended to unceasingly exist physically. However, something happened to make that impossible. In the habitat God created for mankind, he placed the means for the continual sustenance of an everlasting body. That was the tree of life. He also placed the means for man to be morally pure by providing an opportunity for obedience and therefore disobedience. This came by way of another tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He commanded mankind to never eat from the fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sternly warned him if he did he would surely die. Man did however eat from this forbidden fruit and as a result became morally corrupt. This changed everything. God put into place his previously conceived plan B as we would call it. It was not his intention for man to disobey, and yet he planned for it. And it did not take him by surprise. God removed access to the tree of life and modified his physical creation and the nature of physical reality. It was at this time that I believe that God instituted the law of entropy. The result is that we are no longer going to exist forever in this physical body. It, along with all other material things, will decay and cease to exist as an entity. Eventually, all that we know of this world and this physical universe will be destroyed and recreated once again without entropy. Another more significant result of this disobedience was being cut off from the spiritual sustenance provided by a union with God. Without this union, mankind became spiritually dead. Really dead, in a spiritual sense. 
we no longer had the means by which to be sustained as a spirit and to exist the way our Creator intended us to exist. Mankind continued to be an unceasing spiritual being. However, we now have the potential future of existing in an unceasing spiritual state that is devoid of God, cut off from everything that sustains meaningful existence. The fall of man was not the first fall. There were angels who, as spiritual beings, also had the ability to choose. Some of those angels chose to rebel against God and were cut off from the spiritual sustenance provided by a union with God. This first fall occasioned the creation of a realm that was intended to serve as a realm of banishment, a place from which God would withhold his presence, a place utterly devoid of the presence of God. This place we call hell will become the repository of everything in which God cannot be contained. Let me say that again. This place we call hell will become the repository of everything in which God cannot be contained. By banishing to hell everything that does not contain God, the rest of reality will once again be restored to harmony with God, being reconciled to him and returned to the previous state of all reality being contained in him and containing him. When man disobeyed God, he became disconnected from the means of eternal sustenance, as I said. And mankind was not only separated from the tree of life, but also from the source of life, a union with God. Rather than giving up on his intent, however, God chose to carry out a plan of redemption that would bring individual men and women back into the purpose for which they were created. God will give to each individual the same option he gave to the first man and woman. He will allow us to choose life or death. The plan God chose for this redemption was to come into his own creation as a man, constrained by the same physical nature as man, and live a life fully obedient to himself. From that position of moral purity, he will die a physical death, suffering the same consequence of sin that all other men suffer, and then through the power of life contained in himself, rise from that state of death. By doing so, he would vanquish death, removing its power over mankind. In this process, he would also address the issues of moral governance by providing a substitutionary death, the innocent for the guilty. This form of atonement accomplished all that was necessary to restore the moral order to creation and allowed personal beings who participate in this plan to be recreated into their intended existence a never-ceasing spiritual being contained in God and his reality. This plan of redemption is a mystery and yet a reality. We don't understand all of its implications, but can experience the substance of its existence. 
It is the nature of man to be regenerated. God created him with this ability. This ability does not exist by the will of man, but by the will of and the design and the intent of God. Yet, it does not happen without the will of man. The means of redemption is the atonement provided by God in Jesus Christ, who carried out the plan perfectly. This act of grace brought redemption to all men. Yet not all are redeemed, because the final act of redemption has been left to each individual. Only those who desire union with God and choose to receive the gift offered to restore that union will be redeemed for his possession. With our spirit comes a consciousness of ourselves. It is the nature of being a spiritual being. It is also our nature to be conscious of God. It is as unavoidable as our consciousness of ourselves. From this consciousness, God works to bring us to the choice of unity. We got the choice of working with him or against him in this process, this process of God bringing us to that choosing. It is not the sin of Adam that condemns us before God, but our own stubbornness to his overtures of grace and life. It is the sin of Adam that brought about the reality of our spiritual death and our physical mortality. It is the sin of our own rebellion that brings about our condemnation to remain dead and wind up eventually in the final repository for all death. If we choose to cooperate with God's overtures of redemption and embrace his revelation of himself, the life he intends for us will be given to us. We get to choose this life, though we don't often even understand what that means. Once we choose to accept the life God offers, we are given his very own spirit to indwell us. While we remained in a state of separation with God, he withheld the presence of his spirit in us. We were like a bubble of godlessness, devoid of him and the life he brings. Once we receive his life, we receive his life-giving spirit. We become regenerated recreated and reborn. We become born from above. I like how Dallas Willard says, being born from above means to be interactively joined with a dynamic, unseen system of divine reality in the midst of which all humanity moves about whether it knows it or not. I want to say that again. Being born from above means to be interactively joined with a dynamic, unseen system of divine reality in the midst of which all humanity moves about whether it knows it or not. I want to re-emphasize here, and this is so hard for me to not go into the details, but this bubble of godlessness 
you see, if you just go back to the beginning where God permeated everything that existed, and everything that God created was God permeated, but he allowed for spiritual beings to remove him from their life. And that becomes a vacuum of godlessness, a bubble, if you will, in reality that's surrounded by God, a place in which God has chosen to allow himself to be excluded. Thus the bubble. I've told this story before. I have time. I love it. Before I had a basement, my office was right next to the stairs. And I had my desk up against that wall that the stairs come down from the upstairs. And Kamala was about three years old or so. And just as little kids do in her footy pajamas, hanging on to the banister, comes down one step at a time, thump, 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 thump. And I hear her coming down the stairs. And she hollers out after about four stairs, steps down, Hey, Dad! I said, yeah. Thump, thump. I'm stepping on God. Thump, thump. And I said, What? I'm stepping on God. Thump, thump. I said, Why would you say that? Thump, thump. She says, Well, God's everywhere, right? Yeah, then he's on the steps, and I'm stepping on God. Thump, thump. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, here is a child that recognized that she lives in a God-permeated world, a spiritual substance of personal power that exists down to her very toes, surrounding her footy pajamas, even present on the steps as she comes down them. This God, in his infinite wisdom, allows for spiritual beings to choose to allow him to permeate their life or exclude him from it. A choice which he honors, not because he has to, but in order to maintain the integrity of the spiritual being. We become bubbles of godlessness in a God-permeated world. But we have the option to be born from above, to be interactively joined with a dynamic, unseen system of divine reality, in the midst of which even those who are godless walk around whether they know it, around, know it or not. We then begin to participate with this reality, a spiritual reality that brings with it an ability to interact on a whole new plane. We can interact with each other on this plane. We can interact with God on this plane. We can interact with the world on this plane. This is what I mean when I say we are saved to life, we are saved to community, 
and we are saved to authority. So remember those three things, life, community, and authority. Let me say this again. Life, we can interact with God on this plane. Community, we can interact with each other on this plane. Authority, we can interact with the world on this plane. Do you know what I mean by a plane? Those of us that have a little bit of geometry understand a plane. In the world of drafting, you kind of learn how to deal with two planes to draw everything two-dimensional. And then as you get a little more advanced, you learn how to deal with a third plane. And we generally refer to this as the X, Y, and the Z plane. Well, we interact in this world in a physical way in three, three dimensions. And that's our three planes, if you will, X, Y, and Z. But there's a whole different plane, a perspective which changes the way that you view the X, Y, and Z plane. This is a spiritual plane, and it's a spiritual reality. And when we interact on this plane, if you will, we come to realize things about each other and about God and about this world. We begin to experience things differently. And we now live in a world that is more subject to the power of Christ than it is the elements in the weather. Jesus demonstrated that. We now live in a kingdom where everything God wants done is done, eventually. We now understand what Jesus meant when he said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has the ability to take it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Once again, I really enjoy one of the statements that Dallas Willard made in his book, Divine Conspiracy. He said a medium-sized angel or two could have easily taken care of the people that wanted to kill Jesus. A medium-sized angel or two. And he told his disciples, don't you realize I have the ability to call 73,000 of them? The Bible tells us that the angels even long to look into these things. and So I can imagine them going, what is he doing? Standing at the ready for the command. Just give the command, Lord. We'll take care of them, guys. Michael asking Gabriel, let me be the first. Let me add them. He said, though, I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. It now makes sense when we read, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Really? We now understand how John could say, This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know, most often when I heard that verse being quoted, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, it references some kind of person or physical 
trouble or difficulty. The context is the spirit of the Antichrist who is in the world. And when you interact with God and the world on this plane that now exists and is real to us, we come to realize that we have, in fact, overcome the evil one and overcome the spirits of darkness, the ones who are bent against Christ. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We no longer scratch our head when we read the words of Jesus that say, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. We are interacting with the world as a participant in the reality of God, which supersedes all these things. Our hope is not in a resurrection that will happen someday, but in a resurrection that we have already experienced and in which we participate every day. I want to say that again. Our hope is not in a resurrection that will happen someday, but in the resurrection that we have already experienced and in which we participate every day. We have a hope for the future when all things are brought into union with God in Christ. But until then, we realize that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We realize that but in all these things, this is Paul speaking in Romans 8, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. What are all these things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. You see, it was not the hope of a resurrection someday that gave Paul the confidence in the storm when the ship was going down, was it? What gave him confidence was the resurrection he had already experienced in Christ Jesus and the interaction with the reality of God. At the time when he was killed, Peter was killed, and others were martyred for their faith, it wasn't the hope of something yet to come, but the reality of what they had already had. That was simply <laughs> miraculous in itself, amazing to them, as real as the, as the sword or the cross that was going to kill them and knowing that it was simply a down payment you know when we get a down payment did you get a down payment with your house with your purchase agreement which is better the down payment or the other payment you're looking forward to the full payment it's yet to come but you know it's yet to come because the payment that you received, you actually could cash. It's the resurrection that we already live day in and day out that is intended to be for us the hope of the big payment, the big payoff. When everything in this material world is in fact destroyed and recreated, and we become, once again, reunited with the tree of life. 
and a reality that we can't understand and yet is somehow physical in a way that distinguishes one entity from another. There's bounds to a river. There's a new heaven and a new earth, Peter tells us. And we dwell in those, in that creation, a real creation, not a non-creation of nothingness or some sort of consciousness that exists without anything, but an actual creation that is created as the proper habitat for bodies that will once again exist eternally with access to the tree of life and access to the throne of God under which we will operate in a kingdom that has banished everything that does not contain God and is not compatible with his will. This is what we have to look forward to, even as we recognize and live today, seeing it in our own lives and in the world around us, in spite of so much that has been excluded from the presence of God. When I talk about being saved to life and the interaction of God as the sustenance of our spiritual life, you know, I could talk about that for hours and hours and hours. I have. You know I can because I have. <laughs> when I talk about interacting with a with a world on a different plane that gives us authority to have been overcomers and finding that that which in us, experiencing in reality that that which is within us is greater than that which is in the world, meaning the spirit of the Antichrist. As you realize that that is actually authority to operate as if that is true. And if you actually operated as if that is true, you would act differently than if you didn't believe it. This is authority. The fact that we can interact, Marlene, you and I can connect on a plane that is not merely physical is a reality that informs what we do this morning, what we do tomorrow night at our board meeting, what we do on a day-to-day -day basis when we're interacting with people. Well, let me, let me pray. God, you know from, well, better than I do even what my intention is here and from my prayers that I want your truth to be supreme. And I want the preeminence of Jesus Christ to reign in this group, in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, if there's anything that I speak in error, I pray that you would just bring it to light and straighten it out. And um, anything that could be misunderstood that's not in error but could be misconstrued in a way that would be harmful, I pray that you would Bring that to light and straighten it out. 
And Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom and understanding to each of us. And as I speak and have spoken, that your spirit would help us to judge, to judge rightly, and to... I just pray that your spirit would illuminate the truth. And I feel that there's been grievous harm that's been done at times through maybe even good intentions of simplification and a particular set of doctrines that have been put forward. I pray that you would, if this can be helpful in the use of dispelling error, I pray that you would use that as well. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.